0: us at OD Baptist on Rumble. This is one of the major platforms that we use to push out all of our content. You can still find us on Facebook and YouTube, a little bit on Instagram. Our key passage, our key verse for this evening's study. And then we're going to, after we pray, we're going to march. You can come right down front here. Uh, We're going to march through the entire chapter tonight uh, looking at some highlights as they pertain to verse number 14. If we have any time left, and I'm sure some of you are, and many of you are probably laughing at, at what I'm saying. If we have any time left, I do have two more topics that apply to chapter verse, uh, verse number 14. We'll see if we get there. We may get there if you guys stay quiet tonight and don't have anything to say. Now, if you have something to say, jump in. Because it is easy for the talking heads to sit in monologue, but it's it's a lot more fun when it's interactive. And you guys have something to say. Stop me, look at me, raise your hand, blurt it out, something like that. And um, I think we can really enjoy this passage tonight. I know I've enjoyed studying immensely for it. Uh, Verse number 14 of chapter 19. Is everyone there? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time as we gather around your word. We know that you're going to speak to us, one, the words that we need to hear and should hear, but you're going to make us aware and show yourself to us in a way that will change our lives forever. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. One thing about teaching uh, and considering a topic intensely for a period of time is that you become acutely aware of its presence in your life and oftentimes where you fail at measuring up to it, at least the way you think that you should measure up to it. Uh, And it's easy to beat ourselves up for sure. Maybe it is just for me, but I can tell by the nodding heads maybe some of you guys have done the same thing um, as well. So I'm going to start out with a question. And we'll do this the easy way, and it's not a spiritual question, so you don't have to have a right or wrong answer. Have you ever experienced a time in your life when you did not like yourself? Strange question for church. I get that. It's, it's totally strange that I would ask a question like that. Normally, the times When I don't particularly care for myself, I've either said something that I shouldn't have said, and it didn't mean I had to sin greatly, but it was something where I feel like I slipped, or I'm not happy or pleased with myself because of something that I thought. How many of you guys have ever been in a situation at work, at home, at church, anywhere else, and you ran into life, humanity, whatever you want to call it, and you said the right things by not saying anything at all, but when you walked off, you know that you thought things that you should not have thought. The easy thing to do is to be quiet and say nothing. That way, everybody's going to think that, gosh, a person that's quiet is wise enough, but they don't know what you're not telling them, and that's what's going on inside of your heart, inside of your mouth, your your mind. Often, like I said, the things that bother me the most are not the things that I do, and there are things that I have done that I didn't particularly care for myself, and that's when Holy Spirit moves in and convicts us of those things. We're just rambling. I'm just rambling and trying to calm down before we get started tonight, guys, okay? Uh, You'll get it. This all applies to the topic tonight, believe it or not. I believe you'll see that a little later. So an example. All the women are so nice, so I'm going to pick on the men. I think I can dodge the rocks if they throw them at me. Men... We call this, when we're, we're rude, we're ugly, or we speak like we're the masters of the universe, we call this shooting straight or telling the truth the way I see it. But the facts are that oftentimes we like to think we're the masters of the universe when in actuality we're just being rude. Likewise, if we find ourselves in a place of regret, not so much confession and wanting to, to, to be right in our heart to get right with our wives, we get to a place to where I put myself in a spot to where I can't get out, so now I've got to do something about it. We find ourselves wanting to apologize and get right with our wives, but how many of you know that they know what's in your heart, although you're saying the right things with your mouth? You guys are staring at me like there's somebody else behind me. Am I the only one that's done that to where I've said the right things and had the wrong thing in my heart? Maybe it's just me being human. But yet the women remain gracious to us, They're understanding. Let me ask you a question. Why do we ask for forgiveness in the first place? The reason why we ask for the forgiveness we say the right things, we want the right thing to happen in our heart is because we want the sweetness of the relationship to be intact. It's not that I have to be right. It's not that I have to admit that I'm being wrong. The thing that's the higher order, the thing that I want more than anything else is I want the sweetness of the relationship to be intact with my wife. It's much like that with God. I want the sweetness of the relationship. I know that I'm forgiven already. I, I walk in that. I know that I'm forgiven of the sins, past, present, and future. We're good like that. So the question is, why do we ask for forgiveness from God? It, am I the only person that's asked that question? Do you guys ever think like that? Why do, why do we do something that we don't have to do? They cease in our minds because we're already forgiven. Because it puts us in the place where he's already in the place where he should be. We're moving to get to that place as he's changing us from glory to glory. He's changing us, and we're learning to love him like we should. Men, that's why we have to learn how to love our wives like we should, and we have to make those efforts to love them as the object of our special affection. It's more than anything else that I want, no car, no house, no anything else, She's the object of my special affection, my special delight, and I want the sweetness of that relationship uh, to be in store. Wow, we're going all over the place tonight. Let me me get back on the rails and get out of the weeds here. But I'm I'm enjoying this. This is speaking to me. I hope it's speaking to you. Psalms chapter 19, verse 14. Let me read that one more time. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. My strength is and my Redeemer. Why do you think David prayed these words? We're going to talk about this in a minute, and and I believe I'll answer that question for you. But another one for you to consider tonight, we'll ask this question again in a little bit, is what took David to the place to where he said what he said? To where I want the words that I say, but not just the words that I say, also the thoughts that I have in my mind and my heart, the feelings, my emotion, everything that's about me. I want that to be right in verses uh, 12 and 13. I don't even want to sin, all the different sins. I want that away from me. I just want to be right when I'm with God because when we're, we're confronted with his holiness and who he is, that stuff has got to go. We don't want anything to do with that. The very things that we find in our lives that we don't like are the things that have got to go. That's the the part of us that's convicted, not because we're wrong, but because we want that relationship to be right, forgiven, and right with God. Psalms 19. This is a part of the liturgy in some churches to read this passage on Christmas. This seems like the strangest Christmas Day passage ever, but maybe we'll talk about that a, a little later too. Um... So the, the idea tonight, I normally like to tell everybody what I'm going to do before I do it so you guys can pace yourself so you can tell when this thing might come to an end. Um, and I really have no clue because I have two ways I could go. But the safe way of looking at this is tonight we're going to go through the, the 14 verses, verse by verse. That's what we're going to do. If you look at your clock and say, well, i got 15 minutes late, I'm probably going to talk about one more thing, and then we're going to go. But possibly two, but we will get out on time. Somebody say, I know that's right. If you don't talk to me, we're going to go to sixty, and and we're, we're good. We're, we're going to do this. You guys keep smiling, and I'll, 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 I'll talk faster. All right, verse 1. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Let me just jump on it right now and say it. And you can write this one down, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. All of these people, everything that is to be known about God is known within them because God made it evident to them, even though the lost, they know of God. There's nobody that can stand before God on judgment day and say, I didn't know. God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Even if they never heard the gospel, they can see God in creation so clearly that they know who he is. Helen Keller, who was blind and deaf, knew of God. And when she was taught how to 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 communicate with others. She said, I always knew there was a God. I just didn't know his name. A woman who's blind and deaf. Wow. Um, Also, I, I hear that you can't argue apologetically using creation. Maybe, Pastor Danny, you can tell me if that's true or not. I don't know. But unfortunately, many will stand without excuse. So when we, we go into these next six verses where David is looking at creation, these are an important six verses, so I want you to pay attention to those. In this verse one, God's name that they use is L E L. That's to be strong, a man of power, power as in the person who has created all of creation. He's not in the creation, but he created creation. And and it's, let me get back to my verse here, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. It means that they are recounting, they are telling and giving an account of all of creation is speaking of God. These words declare and show are participial forms, it says, expressive of their continuous revelations of the heavens. So in other words, that creation keeps telling, it keeps showing, who God is and expressing who he is to us, not just declaring it for the sake of declaring it, but declaring it to a people so that they will understand who he is. They keep on declaring. They keep on showing, one commentator says. I was so impressed with the glory of God so many years ago. Uh, back in 91, I was out uh, wind sailing in the Persian Gulf at taxpayer expense. Um, <laughs> in Operation Desert Storm. The war was over. Uh, my company got picked. We went to a resort club. Gosh, if you're going to send me over there for that, then yeah, I get a day in a resort club. And we're out there on the water. I was with a Christian brother, and I remember stopping, and the two of us just got overwhelmed looking at what we were seeing out in the Gulf. We could barely see land and getting almost overwhelmed with the glory of God not playing us up, not embellishing in the slightest. It was sitting out there and trying to take it in what we were experiencing on the water. It's, the creation is showing, and it keeps showing, and it keeps speaking of who God is. Even now that Jesus has come, and he's gone back to be at the right hand of the Father, and his Holy Spirit is inside of us, he's still speaking to us through, um, through creation. Verse 2, day unto day, uttereth speech, it says, and night unto night showeth uh, knowledge. It, it poureth out speech day to day and night to night. It pours out this speech like water is poured from a fountain. It just keeps coming. It just keeps flowing. He's constantly speaking to us about who he is and the person of himself to us, to everyone who will look and to listen. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, Abraham was told to look to the stars in the night sky to build his faith. faith. I will make you... A father of many nations, so he tells him to go outside and count the stars if you can even count them, and look to me is what he 's saying, because as you look to me in all of creation, you will see me, and I will stir your faith, and now he 's the father of faith. I guess, the progenitor of, of the, uh, the Jewish people themselves. He said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your seed be. If you continue to look to me, your faith will be built. And what I'm saying to you will come to pass. And it was counted unto him as righteousness. Verse 3. There is no speech, no language where their voice is not heard. It's funny, it says it this way. There is a speech that is without sound. This inaudible speech is everywhere, and there's no place where this inaudible speech is not heard. So what it's saying is it doesn't matter where you go in this world, whether you're in the desert where some, many of us have been, whether you're out on the water in the Gulf or you're out, you know, Catfishing, catfish, fishing, however you say it, fishing, hunting, whatever it is, wherever you are, if you will stop and look to what you see, God is not in the creation, but he's there, and he's there for you to see. Verse 4, their line is gone out into all the earth, and their words to the end of the world— uh, in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. One commentator said that this was a tacit illustration of the Shekinah glory as it, it was in the temple. When God came into the temple that they built and his presence was there and it filled the place with smoke, one guy is saying that this is what this is all about is even here God makes himself known his presence is here so that he can connect with the people or who are here. This verse is really big in Romans 10, verse 18. Paul quotes this verse, chapter, uh, verse 4, to explain why the Jews rejected the gospel and what it did to their nation. And their words to the end of the world in the middle of verse 4. Everyone has heard. Everyone knows of God whether they say they have or not. One, one uh, atheist from years past, I, gosh, I forget his name, it'll come to me later said, if he got to go to heaven, the one thing he was going to ask God was, why didn't you give me more information? But what he is saying right here, and you probably know who I'm talking about. It's going to come to me in a minute, right in the middle of this talk. No, it wasn't him, but he, oh gosh, I'll get it later. Um, Everyone has heard. Now, this is what I like. The Septuagint says, Their line is gone out through all the earth, and if that looks weird to you, it looked weird to me also. But this word line means a musical sound, but not just a musical sound. It's a it's a keynote. It is the major note in the song. It is the one that draws the most attention to it. It's saying that the words that are not being spoken, the inaudible words that everybody is hearing, is going out like a symphony, like it's, it's a music that's coming from, the, from, from heaven itself to go out and to draw your attention to him so that you can see him and come to know him. This, this word uh, milim, which is the, uh, the Hebrew word for words, It's said to be used of thoughts just shaping themselves into language, but they're not yet spoken yet. So in other words, it's like thinking about something and not yet saying it, but it's there all along. God's voice of power in creation prepares the way for his voice of grace in the gospel. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard the audible voice of God. But he speaks to us, although we don't hear his actual words. We pick this Bible up, and we see of his grace, and we know of his grace. And we're thankful for his grace. And he's speaking to us much the same way, even though these, these are his words and we know that, but it's not speaking audibly right now, but we trust what it says. Can we trust what we see of God and know to be true of him in creation? Because he's playing like a symphony, at the keynote, at the loudest point, saying, look to me. Look to me. Trust me like Abraham did. Trust what I'm saying, and your faith will be established. Your faith will grow. And the very thing that he has for you, is why Scripture says that we can be free. Free for what? Not free from, I guess, any one thing in particular because there's so many things. But one thing is so we can be free to accomplish the things that he has for us in our life, whatever that is. And he builds our faith in looking to him in creation. We're fixing to go somewhere else in a minute, but right now we're talking about creation. Verse 5, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Let's back up to verse 4. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. The idea here is... The sun is coming out. We're still talking about creation. He's coming out like a bridegroom coming out of his nuptial chambers, if you will. He's coming out as a strong man to run a race. And this is a strong man that's not just a strong man because he's physically strong, but he's like warrior strong. He's like an athlete that's running with all the strength and the, the power and the determination that he's trained all of his life to, to get to this point. And he's doing all that he can do and all that he knows to do to go out and to win the race. So this is a very strong moment that we're seeing in Scripture. The sun is, is coming out, and in verse 6, it says, the sun is his going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. This is why this is a Christmas passage right here, because God has sent his son to this earth who has shown himself to us one through scripture, two through the words that he said and fulfilled all of the prophecies. He's come out like the sun who's come out in the morning that's here all day long. And even when it goes down at night, we still feel the heat of the sun. Now, this is Alabama. You say, it's always hot in Alabama. I know that. But until it gets to where it's 273 degrees below zero, that's zero degrees. That's absolute Kelvin. That's the absence of heat. No molecular movement, at least the way I understand it. There's always heat. So when the sun goes down, there's still heat. If you don't think 32 degrees is warm, try being in 67 below, and I've been there. When it warms up to 20 below or zero, it's time to take a shirt off. It's time to have a short sleeve shirt on. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, there's heat there. The heat is the part that touches us. Although God is like the sun, he's come to this way, and he's up, and he's going across the sky. And even when you think you don't see him, the heat is still there. Let's say the heat of his presence is still there. I don't want to be the guy that talks about feeling the presence of God and all that because sometimes it's, it's not a feeling because at times in all of our lives, there's times where we don't feel anything. But there are times when we sense his presence as well in the things that we're reading, the things that we believe we're seeing and hearing, the words that others are saying to us. And he is speaking to us in all of creation. One word or one name for God, and it's the last one in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 48, verse 35, the last verse of Ezekiel, it is God is Yahweh Shammah. That means the Lord is here or the Lord is there. He is here. And in, in the corruption of the English, it would be Jehovah Shammah, which is the same thing. The Lord is here. It thrills me to know that not only is he here, but that he sent his son for me. I need to know that. It's what gives me strength to go carry on. I trust that it's the same way with you guys too. We've got, we've got to know there's something more to this life than just what we're doing. It's really what is his plan. And I know that his plan has got to be a good one because he's established all of our worth when he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Amen? Somebody say amen. Amen. I got one. We're going to get two next time. So, this is where this chapter shifts radically at this point, uh, and when it goes to verse 7. But if you're anything like me, God, it's, it, it happened that way because God wanted it to be that way. So, David puts the law into a personal perspective. Now, we've talked about, we've talked about creation. Well, now, we're going to talk about the law and how David sees God in all of this. His name changes from being a powerful warrior and a guy that's strong in what he's doing to where he uses, well, I I see it as the Tetragrammaton, but it's taken as Yahweh, which implies a personal or a covenantal relationship. Instead of just being the strong warrior, they're looking at a new, a different attribute of who he is. It's a God that's in covenant with the people. And just as the sun is the dominant feature of the first six verses, and that's really the, 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 the high point is getting to that place. In these next few verses, we're going to see where the law is what David's looking to, and the law will be the high point in, in these verses. So, amen? Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul we we'll read the last. We're going to split these up because there's two in each one each verse. So we'll we'll go to the next one shortly. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Psalms 23, 3. This is the same word that's used for converting. Here is God restores my soul. How many of you had a time in your life when you needed God to restore your soul because you didn't know which way was up? I've I've needed that to. You get to a place where you've experienced so many things to where you just don't need one more thing to happen, but yet he moves in and he restores my soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. It restores my soul. It helps me to get to a place to where I see God because it says that the law is holy. This is the scripture that they had. So when they looked to the law, they were looking to what God was communicating to them, trying to teach them how to live in this life. Before the law, there was no law, hark, okay, I get that. But before the law, he spoke to the people. But when they went to Egypt and they were in bondage and oppression, they didn't have that. The people got away from God. So Moses comes and gets the people. He takes them on this trek that should have only took a few days. It took 40 years or so. And he teaches his people how to love him as they should. He tells them that you should do these things, you won't do these things. We're fixing to talk about six different things, six different ways of looking at the law. And David calls it six different things. One of them is really curious. Uh, but for this one, he's, he's saying it restores my soul. He's saying I look to God in the law and his love for me by what he is saying in it. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The Ten Commandments are often called the testimony. These words are sure. You can count on them, the moral law. They're not going away. And with childlike faith, this will make you wise towards God. Verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They teach us how to live practically with everyone, friend and foe alike. He wants us to learn this for our benefit. He teaches us how to live with our enemies. Does anybody in here have any enemies? I, I, have, I have a few. I have a few that, that don't like me. I think I'm a likable guy. I'm just going to say that. Okay. It least to myself, and my wife didn't say amen, so there's one of me that likes me. <laughs> there, 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 there are a few. Uh, maybe I wrote this teaching for me. Okay, so you can, bl- you can blame it on that. Okay, But they teach us how to live practically with everyone. Do you know it's in the law that if your enemy, his donkey, gets out, you have to go get it and take it back to him if he doesn't know it's out? If your enemy's donkey falls down under its load and you come by, you have to stop and to help him get the animal up or help bear the burden and get him home. So when Jesus says, a new commandment or a new law or something new that I have for you in the Sermon on the Mount, when it talks about loving your enemy, it's not something new. It was just new to them. They were under the Roman oppression. So he's saying, you've got to love them also. So David is looking at the law as a, 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 it's a benefit to him. And he's rejoicing because the law is telling him how to live with the people that's surrounding him. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes, commandments. Those are the things that some people don't particularly care for, and it's certainly the things that our our children don't like sometimes. Some things are because I said so, not because I'm a boss or a parent, but something like God, I can see the end from the beginning when you're doing something that's lacking any kind of sense. You know, like you, you just can't form the cognitive link between your thoughts and your actions. I'm the guy that's going to step in and help you see it and know you're not going to do that because I said so. But here is the why I'm saying so, because this is the end that you're going to meet one day. So David is saying that the law is much that way for him. There there is a part of the law that said you will not do this, but it was never because he said, I am God and you're not going to do it. It's I'm God, you're not going to do it, but it's because of this reason, because it's the end that's going to get you that you're not going to like when you get there. Is, Is that making sense to you guys? Is that making sense? I wonder if we could trust God in the same manner that we ask our children to do of us. I've told a couple of my children i, I couldn 't tell you which ones there's so many of them, but I know there was once or twice I told one of the kids it's not that i didn't trust you it's you didn't trust me. when I said no or when I said you're not going to do that, and normally at that point don't ask again, it's just going to get worse i mean I, i'm going to start i'm going to get dictatorial monologue on you. Nobody likes the monologue. Um, I think you guys do because you're not talking tonight, and I'm not making it easy, I don't guess. Um, But it's a thing of, if I say it, there's a reason. Why did I say it? If God's Word says it, there's got to be a reason. Why did God say it? Are these the questions that we ask ourselves, or we just get, where no, I'm just not going to do that and go do something else? He sees the end. We've got to trust Him for that. Sir? Because, mm-hmm. just Yeah. we don't see, yeah, I got saying you immediately Exactly. Exactly. Anyone else? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. This one was strange to me. Why did David call the law, the fear of the Lord is clean? It's interesting to me that he does that. We reverence God in his word by looking to him where he is. As God, positionally acknowledging that he changes us from glory to glory, but we look at God as being God. Here's the thing that I see. It's so easy to say that God is love because that's the one you can throw out there and do anything you want and use it as a license to say that it's okay to do anything you want. I never hear the people who say God is love say God is holy. You'll never hear that. You'll never hear them say God is immutable. He doesn't change. You, you, you don't hear those kind of things. God is who He is. Was, God was not a, a God of wrath and war in the Old Testament and love in the New Testament. God hasn't changed because we put a division and a white piece of paper between two Testaments and, and then God, God morphed. I mean, I'm struggling to put words to even thinking like that. He, God is who He is. Wow, I have to love Jonah. I've heard it in the last year and a half that I've been here that that's the reason why Jonah didn't, Jonah didn't want to go and preach because he knew that God was going to straighten this thing out for them and they were not going to be taken out. He wanted them taken out. They were killing his people. Uh, but we have to see the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. God will be where he is forever. We have to look at him, where he is, and the things that he says, we have to consider them as God himself said it. The judgments of the Lord are true and right altogether. The verdicts of the Lord are much like the decisions of a judge. We should learn from them. We should learn from these verdicts. I tell all of my kids, you should all be forensic analysis analysts. Now, the first one, the first kid, they've got to do it all the hard way. They've got to have a crash helmet. I, I, I get all of that. The, the firstborn gets it tough. They go out and they learn it all on their own. But all of the kids after that, and, and when you have so many of them anyway, you tell them, you see this mistake that your sister made. We love your sister. We ain't got a problem with that, but she made a mistake there. Don't do that one. If you're going to make a mistake, make your own, but don't make the same one she made. Come on now, let's, let's learn from that, and let's go in a direction. It's funny to see how all the kids, because I've said that, have looked at what the others have done and said, well, that worked, and this didn't work. And so they start saying, well, I'm not going to do that, because obviously it didn't work, and they'll be paying for it for the rest of their life. You know, it's something like that. So they, they learn from that, these verdicts, they speak to you. All right, verse 10. More to be desired... Are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb? Get what we're saying here. I know how we're trained in our view of what the law is. But we're not there. We have all of this now. Okay. But look at what David is saying. and, And we have to look at Scripture the same way. The law was more to be desired than gold, the most valuable commodity of that day, and more to be desired than honey, the sweetest substance in the ancient Near East. So it's more important than any finances or any uh, possession that he could have, and it tasted sweeter to him than the sweetest commodity commodity that they had, and that was honey. Now, does that sound like a... uh, I think the New Testament calls it a pedagogue. It's a, it's a tutor that would teach. But David is looking to the law as something that's valuable to him and something that was sweet to him. Question, do we treasure the Word in our relationship with God more than what we need for this physical life? Now, we have to take, put this in perspective. We need both. So here's the hard question, the, the kind of the poke, to, to make you think about this, and we all face this question: Do we look to God for what we need, or do we look to ourselves for the best we can do? David trusted God's word so much that that's all that he needed. Do we trust God enough to act in faith, to live that life of righteousness? Practical righteousness in that sense, positional in the other. But in the totality of it all, will we act in faith and will we trust him in living in this life? Verse 11. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. We're changing gears here, okay, guys? We're changing gears and we're prepping to get to the main point. We talked about the first six verses which have to do with God being seen in creation. We've talked about the next verses where it's 7 through 10, talking about how David is looking at the law. Now in verse 11, it's saying, Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, it says, and in keeping of them there is great reward. This is a fluid uh, uh, transition into the personal portion of this chapter. There wasn't one between 6 and 7. I want you guys to see this, a little bit of teaching here. Look at the structure of what's happening. He's looking at the world. He's looking at the word. Now there's a, translation, uh, a transition into the personal side of this. David is about to bare his heart by asking God for the wisest of requests. He has witnessed the strong creator in all of the world, then considered the holy and covenantal God of his word. This creates an urgent need to have his sin dealt with and his thoughts and his confession made right. Did his thoughts and his words have to be made right just so he could check the box to feel holy? It's never been about the checking of the box. It's once we have met God, once we have heard the inaudible voice of God, And I'll say this, if you want to hear the audible voice of God, he may speak to you, but if you've never heard it, break open his word and read to you something that ministers to you where you are, and that will be the audible word of God, and trust him for what it is as the written word of God. And that's not to discount that he can't speak to people nowadays. But that's not what I pray for. I don't pray to hear the audible voice of God, and if he does, that's wonderful. This right here, will you have faith to believe this? And now that you do, what is it going to, how is your life going to change? What is going to be motivated in you? Does he become the object of your special delight because you are already the object of his special delight? Verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Who can understand his errors? Who can understand one's own errors? There are things that we do that are sin, and this sounds like a cop-out of cop-outs. I get all that. I've thought this way myself. But there are things that we do sometimes that can be sin, and we don't even know it. And David's going to cover that base because all he knows is God is the only person that he sees. And he loves him so much, he sees him in the world. He sees him in the Word. Now it's changing his life, and he wants to be all that he should be to God. Not just for the sake of being it, but because he loves him. Secret sins. Sins that I don't realize that I'm committing. So let me ask this question again. Why do we ask for forgiveness if we're already forgiven? We've come full circle, and I've 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 answered it before. So I'm going to answer it again because y'all aren't shouting me down. Clean heart. Mm Mm-hmm. Mhm. Mhm. Sweetness of the relationship anyone else? Excuse me. Well, it will Good. Our thoughts must be more than a statement of regret, and our words must indicate that. Verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from... Well, it says the great transgression, but uh, the article thee is, is not in, in, the, uh, in the Hebrew. So it says, and I shall be innocent from great transgression. But here's the, the 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 really cool words. The first two words say keep back. It's easy to gloss over this, but he is saying keep me back. Stop me from even committing the sin. Man, can you admire the faith that David has when he says, I know who I am and I know the things that I've done. Keep it from me. Keep me back. Keep it. Stop me from doing it, God, because this thing is bigger than me. There's just some times where I do this and I can't stop myself. Keep me back from doing this. These presumptuous sins, these willful sins, these these deliberate sins, the things that we do on purpose that, that we didn't do out of ignorance and we knew we did it. It's not that we didn't know we did. He's saying, for those sins, I want to cover that one too because I want this thing taken care of so I can worship you as I should. Again, there's no article with the words great transgression. So if we get our heart right with all of this, then we don't make it to the point of doing the, the great transgression, whatever that is, the, the, the top shelf, higher order transgressions that are, that are out there, whatever we think those are. But we walk in faith, trusting him, and our lives are changed. Verse 14. Here we are at this verse. And it is a beautiful one. I've been kicking it around for the last couple months. So let's, let's look at this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength, my redeemer, my rock, and my redeemer. I prefer the word ransomer. Is that, is that a word? I'm I'm going to make it a word. To be ransomed, and I was thinking of this as I was studying, and I've got to say it, because I see myself as a slave on an auction block, hands tied behind my back, and people bidding on me to buy me as a slave. And God sends his son into the world, Not just to pay the price, but to stand where I was and then free me. So that's how I see it when he says redeemer, which is is a mighty word. That's a good word. When you see redeemer, you ought to look up and thank God because that is huge. But I see it as the one who paid the ransom, the one who paid the price, and the one who stood in my place so I didn't have to be there. And then called me his own and established my worth with his blood. That's why he's the object of our special delight. And he looks at us all the time that same way. So when he expresses who he is to us in all of creation in the first six verses, and then all of who he is, verses 7 through 10, in his word, he is saying, you're of immense value to me. I am God and I love you. That's what he's saying. And when we come to see that and to experience that in in that reality, it it changes us. Not because I have to, but because I want to. It's it's more than just stopping the stuff, the, the sins and all that. When you run into a holy God, you're aware of what's there. Isaiah was aware of it also. That stuff's got to go. But even when you get there, it's about the relationship. The words that I say that can cut like a knife or words that can build you up and cause you to prosper. Uh, it's the thoughts that motivate the words that we say. So David is saying, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart even when I don't know what to say, God, and if I'm going to mess this up, please forgive me, but I just want to say the right things. I want to think the right things because I love you. The words we speak begin with the thoughts that we think. There's no word that comes out of your mouth that wasn't thought at some point. Even if it was for the briefest of moments in time, there was a thought that was before that. This verse in this chapter, and this is my attempt at at expository teaching here, is looking at the main theme and then backing up and working back to it, not so much verse by verse, but looking at the meaning in all of this to see the structure to get to this place to where we can see it's, this is why, not because I have sinned, but because I love you, Father. I, I want to be like you want me to be. I want the sweetness of the relationship the fellowship, to be intact and to be there as it should be uh, for our benefit. Because we stand, when we walk in the freedom that God has for us, there's nothing that can stop us, nothing. Have you ever wondered why the early church members would go to the arena and be eaten like a lion, be eaten by lions, and die with a smile on their face and a song on their lips? that's free. Something that you can't take away from them if you take their life. Jesus says, don't fear that person that can take your life, but fear him. David is looking to the father saying, even the things that I say and think, there's a freedom there to be able to go and to do what God has us to do. What is that in your life tonight that what God would have you to do? I, I don't know what that is. Maybe we need to start thinking about that if we haven't. But I know this, if we begin to consider him and all that we see and all that he has said, our lives will be changed. And I will tell you this, by the power of his Holy Spirit, God is the inspirer of right thoughts and right words and he expects us to say them. And if we don't, it's because we've made a choice not to. There's something else that's That's more important. Our our focus has to be to get into this word and to be here so we can learn who God is. To sit out on the porch and to look at creation long enough to where we can get past the things that are irritating us and the red wasps that are trying to sting us. And look at what's going on and begin to see the God of this all. One more statement and we're going to call this tonight. We'll have a short closing after this. Is our experience all that we can attain to or would God have us to experience a different life? Would God have us to experience a better life by learning to consider the things that we say and the things that we think? I wonder how many things have become some kind of self fulfilling prophecy of sorts to where we, we just say the wrong thing so many times, and we say it so many times, we start to believe it, and we become that instead of learning to say that God has made me righteous, God has saved me by His grace. God has sent his son to die on me, die on the cross for me and raise him from the dead after three days for me. So when I say that to myself, I build myself up in my faith and I begin to see him where he is, the fear of the Lord, it says, for being who he is, God, and being holy. When we learn to see the God that even commands us, that gives us his statutes, that shows us how to live in this world, even in the New Testament too. Death and life can be in the power of the tongue. So, in closing, you see how much we're skipping. Now that you've thought about all of this, (laughs) I wrote, what say you? (laughs) We're talking about speaking in our words and our thoughts. God is in nature. Listen to this. God is in Scripture. God is in our heart and our conscience. The great mystery, which is not a mystery as we would normally understand it, but it's that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's in Colossians 126. So what is our motivation for speaking and thinking properly? What, what is the reason why we do what we do? Is it for duty? Is this just a discipline that we do because we want to be better Christians like we want to be better electricians, so we do the things that we have to do to be that better trader, that better person? Or... Is our motivation for speaking and thinking the right thoughts devotion? Is it because we love God? We're learning to love God, like I'm learning to love my wife and fail some days. And some days I hit it out of the park. I mean, what do you say? You know, I, I, I do all right. But there's some days there's one, two, three, and sit down batter. I, I, I get all that. We're learning, guys. It's a journey. We're looking to him, and everywhere we look, we see him. We're going to throw our hat in the ring, or are we going to keep walking? Are we going to love him? Is this a, a devotion thing or a duty thing or a discipline thing? I don't know. You, you've got to think about all this. We see in this example of David that his life experience with God led him to desire things that were acceptable to him. He delighted in God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The man after God's own heart said this, and you, man and woman, are people of his heart also. Amen. Father, we thank you for the reality of your word. We will look to you in all of your creation. We will look to you in the totality of your word. When others are doing everything else imaginable, we will stop and we will look to you and we will think those thoughts that are pleasing and acceptable to you because we already know we're the object of your special delight, Father. We're learning to love you like you deserve to be loved. Father, tonight I declare that your people are blessed keep them safe as they go home and give them the, the slumber and the sleep of the righteous tonight and to get us to work safely tomorrow so that Everyone will see your kingdom in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.